Well, I've got a uh, deep theological question for everyone this morning. And it's even more profound than the question which came first, the chicken or the egg. Are you ready for it? Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? Yes? No? Who cares? <laughs> you know, I have no idea. But I do know that everyone since Adam and Eve has had belly buttons. We were all physically connected to our mothers and most of us for nine months. Through that umbilical cord came everything we needed to grow and develop until the day of our birth. And at birth, the cord was severed. We were no longer physically connected to our mother. We were still very much dependent upon her, but the physical connection was no longer needed. Today, it's become traditional in many hospitals for the father to cut the cord. I didn't get a chance to do that with our children, but uh, Paul did with some of the grandkids. And Matt, did you? Yeah, you did too. Now, I'm not sure why fathers want to do it. Uh, <laughs> or even why they're invited to do so. But it, it may be a symbolic way for them to break the exclusive relationship that mothers have with their babies and give dads a chance to get on an equal footing with them. Whatever the reason, it is essential that the cord be severed. Can you imagine going through life with the cord still connected? Now that the more you think about it, the crazier it gets with numerous children and many generations. But fortunately, God didn't design us that way. He didn't design us to be physically connected to our mothers for our time on earth. But he did design us to remain spiritually connected to him. And Jesus used a physical analogy to help us understand this. Now, he didn't use an umbilical cord. He used a vine and branches. And in that picture, we not only come to understand the importance of staying spiritually connected with our Heavenly Father, we also gain important understanding of the relationship that exists between the vine, the vine dresser, and the branches. And the picture is painted for us in John chapter 15 first five verses. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus said, 
He is the true vine. Now, what prompted him to use this analogy is open to speculation. You know, those who believe they left the upper room at the close of chapter 14, when Jesus said, arise, let us go from here, suggest they were walking to the streets of Jerusalem and had possibly passed the temple when Jesus spoke these words. Above the door of the temple was a beautiful golden vine with great clusters of grapes hanging on it. It symbolized Israel, which is often pictured in the Old Testament as God's vineyard. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, and the psalmist all refer to Israel as a vine or the vineyard of God. Most of the references, however, are not positive ones. In fact, they indicate that the vine wasn't producing as it should. Some even make it clear that Israel had become a degenerate vine producing worthless grapes. Now, that could explain Jesus' emphasis on the fact that he was the true vine, the one who was doing what God expected, that he was producing good fruit, bringing joy to the owner of the vineyard. Others, however, believe Jesus was still in the upper room when he spoke those words, and that he had just instituted the Lord's Supper and referred to the fruit of the vine as his blood. Now, he was, of course, using the fruit of the vine symbolically, perhaps even sacramentally here. You know, his blood didn't come from a grapevine. It came from his body. But then again, as he stated, he is the true vine. Now, I did note last week that I think they were still in the upper room when he said, let's go. Being in the room or in front of the temple, either one could have prompted his statements about the vine, and either setting makes sense. The most important thing to think about, however, is how to apply this to our lives. Jesus said he is the vine, and as the vine, he is the source of life for the branches. You know, a branch cut off from the vine is is like a cut flower. It may look fine for a time, but it's doomed. It can't last. It can't grow. It can't produce. We are like that apart from Jesus. We cannot survive apart from Christ. We may appear to be beautiful. We may bring joy to others for a season, We may have a nice fragrance that sweetens up the world in which we lived, but we are doomed to death, and we know it. We won't live forever. And whatever we accomplish in life, no matter how great it might be, will be short-lived in the grand scheme of things. Solomon made that very clear in Ecclesiastes. And as I mentioned We're going to begin a study tonight that will explore what he had to say, as well as the antidote to a a vain life lived under the sun. The bottom line is that our lives will be ultimately fruitless if we are not connected to the vine. In fact, we cannot bear fruit, real fruit, lasting fruit, unless we abide 
in Christ. Nothing we do will last, will really count for anything apart from him. And Jesus actually said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Now that goes beyond the fact that without him we wouldn't be here, so we could obviously do nothing. It means we can do nothing apart from him. All that we accomplish apart from him in this life amounts to nothing. It counts for nothing because it will not last. Now it may stand the brief test of time, but it won't pass the test of eternity, and ultimately, it will amount to nothing. If we want lives that count, lives that are fruitful, lives that will make a difference for eternity, we must remain attached to the vine, because it's only in union with the true vine that we find true life. And Jesus is the true vine. God is the vine dresser. Now, the word translated vine dresser is actually a very common word for farmer. Now, I doubt that many of us have thought of God as our farmer in heaven, <laughs> but he is. He's the one who cares for the vine and assures its productivity. And a farmer who does such is known as a vine dresser. God is the vine dresser. And as such, he's much more than the owner of the vineyard. He's the one who actually cares for the vine. Now, that probably pictures God in a much more active role than many visualize because they view him as simply sitting back watching what we do waiting for our lives to be over so he can decide if we go to heaven or hell, waiting to see if we've been productive or not. But that's, that's not the case at all. God is involved in our lives now, working hard to assure our productivity because he knows a vine left to itself will go wild and productivity will drop off dramatically. And I've seen this happen. When I was a kid, we had a grape arbor in our backyard. As long as Dad cut it back, we had lots of grapes. When he let it go, the grapes were harder to find and a lot smaller. When he decided not to mess with it at all, it really went wild. It grew all over the neighboring trees and got so thick you couldn't even get through it. It was a big, beautiful vine, but it had very few, if any, grapes. Why? Because for a vine to really produce, two things have to be done regularly. Unproductive branches must be removed, and productive branches must be pruned so they will produce even more. And God does both in the vineyard. He is the one who removes non-producing branches and deadwood from the vine. 
That means it's not our place to cut people off of the vine, to cut them off of the body of Christ, the church. You know, we may have to discipline someone with temporary removal from fellowship. Paul made that clear in 1 Corinthians 5. But it is not our place to cut the dead wood out of the church. Now, when we were much younger as a church, we thought that was our job. And we tried to do it. The church was less than two years old, and we already had ten families on our inactive members list. And after several attempts to get them reactivated, we sent them letters informing them that they were no longer members of Chatham Christian Church. Now, we hoped the letters would serve as a spiritual wake-up call and motivate them to re-examine their relationship with Christ. We were even hopeful that having no church membership would motivate them to seek active membership in another church if they weren't going to be actively involved with us. But all it did was make them mad. One good thing, however, did come out of our failed attempt to purge the church roles. One person, I'll never forget, angrily asked me, who gave you the right to take away my membership? Well, that led us to ask ourselves a a second question. Who gave us the right to give someone a membership in the first place? And those questions led to the current policy on membership, and you should be able to find a copy of it in the, the pew in front of you. It's our conviction that only God can add to the church those who are being saved, so church membership comes from him not from us, and he is the one who removes those who refuse to abide in Christ and therefore become non-productive branches in the vineyard. Now, that does not mean that everyone who leaves the church has been removed by God. People leave for a variety of reasons. But it is possible that some have disappeared from the church because God has removed them. That is the vine dresser's job, and God does it to assure the health of the vine. It's also the vine dresser's job to make the good branches more productive, to stimulate them to produce more fruit. Now, again, that's something only God should do, because making the right cuts in pruning is very difficult, I know, because I've never been good at it. Marilyn and I had an apple tree in our backyard for years that was full of apples, but they were all the size of walnuts. And I never had the heart to cut off the ends that were full of dinky apples. But that's what you must do if you want big apples. Even fruit-producing branches need to be pruned back to produce more and better fruit. And that is something God does as the vine dresser. He prunes good branches to make them even more productive. That means we should expect God to cut the things out of our life 
that hinder spiritual growth. They can be numerous, and they vary from person to person. You know, what, what hinders my growth may not hinder yours, and vice versa. So God gives individual care to each branch. He knows what needs to go and what can stay. That's why it's not our place to decide what needs to go in someone else's life and why we shouldn't question it when God removes something from our life that we did not want to lose. Pruning hurts, and sometimes it looks drastic. But if the master pruner is at work, who are we to question his work? He knows what's best, and he knows what it'll take to make us as productive as we should be. So we let God be God in our lives, and we expect him to be at work pruning, cutting, shaping us into the image of his son. But there is a fundamental difference between us and trees that need pruning we actually assist him in the process. Now, Jesus said the disciples had already been made clean. That's the same word for pruned. He said, you've already been pruned because of the word he had spoken to them. They had been shaped and formed by some degree by their acceptance of his word and their application of it to their lives. In the same way, much of the pruning in our lives should take place voluntarily as we study God's word and seek to apply it to our lives. And quite frankly, the more pruning we do ourselves, the less God will have to do. But pruning must take place if we are to bear fruit. Branches must be pruned, and that we are. We are the branches. And the branches are the fruit-bearing part of the vine. In fact, the primary purpose for the branches is to bear fruit, not to make grapevine wreaths. They're there to produce fruit. And that is why we are here to bear fruit for the vine dresser. And we are expected to bear much fruit. But what is the fruit we're to bear? You know, some would have us believe that the fruit we are to bear is converts. And that if we don't have numerous notches on our gospel gun, will be cut off and discarded as worthless branches. I don't believe that's true. Converts are not the fruit we're to bear. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. He is the one who converts, not us. I convert no one. You can convert no one. You may be able to talk them into something, but you're not going to convert them. Only the Spirit of God does that. That's his job. He's the one who 
who converts. It's our job to plant the seed and even to water it, but it's God who causes growth. It's God who causes the increase. But the fruit in our basket is not the souls we've saved. You know, years ago, many of us would get uh, a, a little pin for perfect attendance in Sunday school. And it was always fun to see how many years you could get. And sometimes it was significant. Well, you know, I think some people have the idea that they need to get some pin for every convert that they make so they can wear a whole string of converts and feel good about themselves. It's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. It's not the job of the branches to make converts. God does that. He does that. Now, that's not to suggest we are not to to witness and to share our faith. We are. And we will be effective witnesses if we are fruitful Christians. If our lives display the fruit God is producing in us, people may very well take notice. And they're more likely to listen when we tell them of the source of our fruitfulness. So what is the fruit? Well, Paul tells us in Galatians 5. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love. Are we growing in our expressions and our involvement in loving others? Joy. Are we able to... To go through the hardships of life with a positive spirit of joy. Patience. Are we patient in the house and at work and in church? Kindness. Kindness. Are Are we moved with hearts of kindness? Goodness. Do we focus on the good around us, or are we always caught up in the bad stuff? Faithfulness. Do we do what we know God wants us to do? We're faithful to the urgings of his spirit. Gentleness. You know, you can be very strong and yet be gentle. Have things under control because you also have self-control, or actually spirit control. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. That's what God wants to produce in our lives. That's the fruit he's looking for. And the only way it can be done is for us to abide in the vine. We can't build those fruit on our own. Not fruit that pass the inspection of Almighty God. We may think we can do it, but we can't. It's only as we allow life to come through the vine that we're able to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Only when Christ abides in us and his Spirit is working through us are we fruitful. Bottom line, we must stay connected to stay alive. You know, a Christian can't cut himself off from the assembly of believers. A Christian can't cut himself off from the body of Christ. We can't cut ourselves off from that personal relationship where we're 
talking to him and we're listening to him through his word. We cannot survive if we cut ourselves off from that. That means we never outgrow the need for our spiritual, here it is, umbilical cord. (laughs) I know it's kind of a gross picture, (laughs) but I think it works. Don't let anybody cut you off, okay? Stay connected. Only then will his life flow through you. We must stay connected to stay productive. Because without him, we can do nothing. 